Now in this uh, sixth factor, we've we talked about walking in the truth, and we've talked about uh, faithfulness and diligence and tithing and sowing. And we're taking some time to make sure we lay a good foundation in the area of the sixth factor, which is believing. Say it with me, I'm a believer. Say it like this, I'm a believing believer. And that's going to become a very important phrase to you tonight, that I want to see the Holy Spirit just absolutely engraft into your heart, and that you function uh, thinking at a higher level than you did even when you walked in here. Because there's a difference between a believer in Jesus and a believing believer. Are you here tonight? I want to start, though, in Hebrews chapter 11 again and remind you in verse 6, it's impossible to please God without what? Faith. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that scripture? He is a reward. You believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But it's impossible to please God without faith. And over in Hebrews 6.12, the Bible tells us, We don't want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So we've learned the connection of patience to our faith, but I want to underscore the concept of faith again. How do we access the promises? We do it by believing God. Now faith is the uh, spiritual force, and faith applied is what we would call believing. I want to say that again to make sure you get a hold of this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. A uh, spirit of faith about us is a spirit of believing God. What did God say? When I'm believing, actively believing, I'm applying my faith in a specific direction. You know, somebody's lost in your house and uh, they don't know the Lord or in your family, in your bloodline. You're calling upon the name of the Lord that they will be saved, they will be healed, they will be delivered. It's not just I believe God can save them. Well, you understand that. But you're actively using your faith to bring them into the kingdom. And I mean, no, God answers that kind of prayer. I mean, he'll send people you wouldn't think in a million years God would use. He'll send people across their path to talk to them. And they're just the exact kind of connection they need to relate to them in their faith so they also can get saved. So let me just define for you tonight the difference between a believer and what I'm calling a believing believer. A believer is someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, raise your hand and say that's a good thing. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they believe that he died to forgive them and to save them. I mean, agree, that's a good thing. But understand this, for many Christians, that's where their development stops. They're a believer in Christ. They've repented of their sins. Their name is written in the last book of life. If they died tonight, they would go to be with the Lord. That's all wonderful. But that doesn't mean they are moving forward in what Paul would call the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, when you, that's the starting point. The new birth is the starting point. That's not the catch-all. And a lot of people stop right there. They do not move forward, and therefore they do not receive God's best while they're living on this earth. Now, that's a guarantee. They're going to experience everything God has for them on the other side. It is not guaranteed that every believer is going to experience what God had in mind for them on this planet. 
And that has to do with whether they become a believing believer or just settle for someone who has the basic tenets of Christianity crossed off. And so one day when they go to be with the Lord, or if they're here when he raptures the church, they go. And don't get me wrong, that's exactly how you want to do this. But I don't know about you, but if he prepared a table in the presence of my enemies for me, I want to partake of everything that's on that table. It wasn't my idea in the first place. I didn't tell him what to prepare. I didn't tell him what to atone for. I didn't tell him what to include in my redemption. That's all his idea. I mean, people sometimes will look at us that are, that are faith people and word people, and they'll say, how dare you believe God for something like that as if it was our idea? Healing and the atonement is not my idea. It was in the heart of God, what? Forever, because the nature of God is to restore, uh, to, to bless your life, to increase you. We didn't come up with these things. To be able to deliver you from any habit, any affliction, any bondage, any addiction, we didn't come up with that. These are all re you know, uh, reflections of the heart of God. So you're never wrong to believe God for what was in his heart to begin with. And it sounds kind of foolish for us not to take advantage of what's in the heart of God. Could you imagine wanting to do something nice for your son or daughter, or in my case, a granddaughter? And uh, I can't imagine her saying, no, thank you. <laughs> I do not think that's going to be her language, hallelujah. <laughs> I think it's going to be, thank you, Pop-Pop. Yes, I, I believe I receive that in Jesus' name. So a believer believes in Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for their sins and forgive them and save them. But basically that's where the growth stops, that's where the revelation stops. And I'm not just casting stones here because we've all got, you know, been to a place where we're just stuck here and we didn't move forward in the things of God. And I'm not uh, you know, disparaging church in general, certain churches. I'm just simply saying that towns like ours are filled with believers. But they're not filled with believing believers. And God has called you to be not just a person that believes in Jesus and goes to heaven one day, but to actually tap into all that the heart of God would supply, uh, to demonstrate his, his goodness, to dare to believe that what he promised in his word is available to us now, to actually pull up to that great table and partake of everything he said you could have. This isn't done family by family. It's not done church by church. It's not done denomination by denomination. There's no holy, you know, you know, glory dust that just falls on a certain group of people, and that guarantees they're going to be believing believers and enjoy everything that God has for them, including supernatural increase. It's up to you as an individual. And there's power in a couple that agrees together as far as marriage. There's power if they sew together and they, they believe God together and use their faith together. Yes, that's true. But by and large, you still work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And my heart has always been for the people of this church to be believing believers. Be right with God. That's always been number one. That's always been the passion of this church to see people to come into the kingdom of God, but then to tap into everything that God has for them. Well, then what's a believing believer? Well, a believing believer is one who believes the promises of God, no matter how great or seemingly impossible or fantastic they are. You see this? Okay, I'm saved. That's great. 
I just can't believe he would do any of that other stuff. I can't believe he cared about that stuff. I can't believe that he would try to, you know, invade my life or do that for me. Who am I? I'm a nobody. And part of it is not having the mind renewed to who they are in Christ, but part of it is just simply not understanding that, that when God saved us, he saved us body, soul, and spirit. And he cares about every dimension of our lives. So a believing believer is one who believes the promises of God. Say that with me. I believe the promises of God from cover to cover, without reservation, without compromise. You know, if, you're, if you have a friend and they're saved, they're a believer, and you choose to believe some promises they refuse to believe, that's not your problem. Amen. If somebody has a choke point, that doesn't mean that's your choke point. You make up your own mind what you're going to believe in terms of the Word of God. That word fantastic is, is interesting because in this context, you know, in one context it would mean just so, so far-fetched you can't believe it, but how many understand God's Word is not far-fetched? It means so extreme as to challenge belief. So extreme as to challenge belief. No matter how great, seemingly impossible, or fantastic a believing believer is going to believe the promises of God. Raising the dead is not beyond the realm of a believing believer. Yes, I believe God can do that and God's used people. Let's, let's try this a little bit different tonight. You raising the dead. Now, if that brought terror in your heart, or you went like this, <coughs> we found your choke point. Because we can all say Jesus raised the dead. Smith Wigglesworth raised the dead. God has raised the dead in this church. God uses other people. But when you begin to say, I'm a believer, in fact, I'm a believing believer, and I believe that God wants to use me. Yes, we certainly just found some people's choke point tonight. Some of you are thinking, I do not want to be a funeral record. No, thank you. I pass on that. Give it to somebody else. Let them do it. But that's, that illustrates the difference here. A believer says, Jesus was raised from the dead. One day he's going to raise us from the dead. He is the resurrection and life. He's my Savior. And they stop. Another person says, I believe that God used the apostles and even people today in the world are raising the dead. In Africa, we can't even count the number of incidents where people are being raised from the dead. Why? Because they believe God. It's not complicated. Amen. In our, in our culture, we've gotten more dependent on natural things, and so when the natural things tell us one thing, it's over. Well, with God, it's never really over. Does that make sense? Um, you know, Brother Copeland's ministry, I think uh, seven or eight documented cases, and I could be wrong about the actual number, but I think it's in that proximity that people raised from the dead, and they got to be where there's a little bit of a reputation, and he showed up at a funeral one day for a friend, I think it was in the ministry, and he's just sitting there minding his own business, you know, praying and praying for the family and there to support the family. And this guy, you know, kind of sashays up to him, next to him, and whispers in his ear, they've already been embalmed. <laughs> As if to say that if they're embalmed, God couldn't possibly raise them to dance or Brother Cope and leave them alone. <laughs> just let them alone. Well, there's a lot that goes into 
raising from the dead, including the directive of God, the unction of God, the gift of faith. There's a lot of things we could talk about. I'm just trying to point out that if someone can believe that God still does that, they're growing, they're moving. If somebody can believe that even somebody in this church is called to do that, um, it, it goes to a whole new level of believing believer. When you begin to say, there's no reason why God cannot use me. If I came across an accident and somebody was dead, I could call that person back from the dead. Um, are you still here tonight? This is, this is just, just an illustration of what can happen if you're not careful. You can settle for far below your privileges as, as a child of God. Um, a believing believer will just believe the fantastic. So extreme that it strains credulity unless, of course, it's something that God actually said. You wonder how Smith and Wigglesworth got that way. Um, you spend that much time in the Word, you're going to be a believing believer. So say, I'm a believing believer. I'm born again, but I also believe the rest of the promises. That's, that's basically the difference right there. Um, we need to believe everything God said we could be. We need to believe everything God said we could do. We need to believe everything God said we could have. And after confessing that like 50,000 times since I've been pastor here, there should be more amens than that. Amen. You confess it every time. Are you paying attention when you're actually confessing over the word of God? <laughs> you're actually making the, the mantra or the declaration of a believing believer every time you make that confession. Say, I can have it. I can do it. I can be it. So the believing believer will, sounds like Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Warner Brothers, hey man. One who believes the promises of God, no matter how great, seemingly impossible, or fantastic, so extreme as to challenge belief. It shouldn't surprise us. God is the God of the what? The impossible. They refuse to compromise on the promises to alleviate pressure in their life, to be liked or accepted, or to justify where they are currently are at in life. Let me say it again. They will refuse to come off the promises just to get the pressure off, or to be liked or accepted. Some folks don't want to be known as one of them, whatever them is. The strange people that believe God and Believe that God still does all that stuff. Aren't you glad that you still believe God still moves in our lives? Do we, do, are we not in a place in our country where we need him to move more than ever, not less? We need more believing believers than ever right now. They won't bow to the pressure. They don't care if they're liked or accepted. I saw just a, just a flash on, on Facebook the other day, and I just took a, a you know, picture of it, a screenshot of it, because I thought it was hilarious. You go, basically says something like this, why, why do you care if everyone likes you? You don't even like everybody. <laughs> There's a wonderful piece of wisdom there. <laughs> and you're wondering about everybody liking you and striving to get everybody liking you, you don't even like them. Moving right along. 
And they don't, you, they don't try to justify where they are in, in life. You know, some folks will say, well, I didn't see that manifest in my life, or that never happens to me, so I'm just going to dumb down my belief. I'm going to ratchet it down so that I can bring my belief level down to where my reality is. No, the Word of God seeks to take your reality and believe it up to where the Word of God is. Not say, well, I'm going to just dumb it down because I never, I never saw that manifest in my life. No, the correct verbiage is you never saw that manifest yet. Amen. It's not over. I said it's not over. I said, I am a believing believer. I am born again. But I also believe the promises. No matter how extreme. No matter how far out there. And I won't bow to pressure. And I don't care if I'm liked. And I won't dumb down the promises to match my current situation. Amen. I mean, you're not quite like Jesus yet, but how many, how many know you shouldn't quit? Well, I can't be like Jesus, so I'll just quit. One day you will be. Yes, amen. Believers... Well, let me just give it to you this way. They explore the concept of salvation or soteria and all the benefits that come with that soundness, fullness, and wholeness. The believer, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, praise the Lord. Let's sing, bring it in the sheaves again and wait for Jesus to come back. Hallelujah. Somebody pass the chicken. I don't know how people can live that way, but I'm telling you, millions of Christians live that way. They think that way. That is the sum total. I mean, the potluck is the highlight of the church calendar. And that's it. They, they function with, with that level of, of intensity. And again, it's, it's culture, it's habit, it's influence, but it's also, you know, a lot to do with choice. But this believing believer is going to explore every aspect and facet of their salvation. The word salvation comes from soteria, and it means wholeness and soundness in every area of life. It is the New Testament reflection of the Old Testament word shalom, or peace, or wholeness. And if you're saved and you go into heaven, well, you have spiritual soundness in your life. But you discover something's not sound in your life. You have the right to pursue what the Word of God says about that area. If you're broke financially, you have the right to pursue God as your source. If you have something wrong physically, you have the right to pursue that dimension of your soteria, and you should not be ashamed of that one iota. I mean, or I'm just to go around saying things like this. God has got something good for you today. It just seems like a wonderful thing to say because it actually reflects the nature of God, but people will get furious at him. Do you know the Methodist Church tried to defrock him every year? Every year they tried to defrock him for saying things like, God is going to do something good today in your life. Or God is a good God. And of course, uh, he, he backed it up with thousands of people coming to Christ. and I mean, grapefruit-sized tumors falling off of people's necks. People throwing up cancer of the stomach and the tentacles and everything come out. The stories are documented. There's a video archive of all these tent meetings, everything that happened, God did it all to him via the glory. But how many of you know it's not done? 
So if you're saved, but yet there's something physically going on that, that challenges your potential to live out your days and carry out what God has called you to do, you have every right to pursue revelation and confidence in His Word and believe God for His sustaining power so you can live out your days and do what you're assigned to do. Other people in the body of Christ are saved and going to heaven, and they would say, well, God doesn't care about that. He made no provision of that. There is no healing in the atonement. If it's God's will, you live. If it's God's will, you die. You know, if you want to get some help, go see our good doctors and go see our health professionals and praise the Lord we have them. But how many understand, we have somebody that gave all those people the wisdom in the first place and the technology. We can go to him in confidence, especially when there is no answer. There's no great breakthrough, sometimes even in ordinary physical afflictions. It seems like we're, we're just, you know, a, a step beyond there, what we need to know. Well, God has that wisdom available to us. And if that's you tonight, you're, you're dealing with something, you have every right to believe God to restore your body, to keep you on the path of doing what you're called to do. Amen. Length of days and strength of days. But there are a lot of people who just roll their eyes at that. How you know? Because I've seen them roll their eyes at me. You think it bothers me? No, I'm going to stick to what the Word of God said. When I was a baby Christian. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. I read them over several times. You know what I noticed? Everybody that came to Jesus who asked for it was a receiver. If you're going to use the Gospels as a doctrine to, to void out the atoning, supply and provision of healing, you're not being honest with the scriptures. Amen. That's just one example. Now, you're not required to believe God for anything beyond your salvation. You don't believe God for your salvation, you go to hell, that's a whole other matter. But God's not going to push you or require you to believe anything else. You don't have to. You don't have to, you know, when you were kids and your parents made you try food you didn't want, I can, I can remember this day, asparagus being made in the household. and Just make my skin crawl to look at it. But she never made me eat rhubarb pie. I thank God for that. Yes, amen. <laughs> See? <I'm> not... <laughs> well, that's why you, you, you think the table is just filled with all this stuff that's going to make you gag. But the reality is it's all good. But nobody is going to make you eat it. No one's going to make you believe God for it. But you know what a believing believer does? They don't need anybody to encourage them to believe God for what the Word says. They're going for everything the Bible says they can have. Said everything. Believers have a clear uh, choke point when it comes to the promises of God. Believing believers have no choke point. And when they discover a choke point, they go to the Word and they get rid of that choke point real quickly. It's not, it's not comfortable when you feel like something's stuck in your throat. Amen? Some of you may have had surgery around your neck or your cervical spine and, and you, know, you can feel like there's a choking sensation. It's no fun to have that. Christians will, will go to a certain point and then that's, that's it. They can't believe beyond that point. And for a lot of people, write this down, it's the new birth. That's the, beyond the new birth, that's the choking point. They come into a spirit-filled church and they hear a pastor or an evangelist or prophetic ministry or apostolic ministry talking about the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. They choke at that point. 
And at that point, they can't hear anything else because, you know, they're a believer. Well, I thank God that they're believers. Can you say a good amen? I thank God they're believers. Not receiving the baptism, not speaking in tongues, that's not going to stop them from getting into heaven. Despite what some errant Pentecostals have taught, you know, in days gone by, it's, it's something you don't hear about as much today. But that actually was a doctrine. If you weren't filled with the Spirit and you weren't, you know, a tongue talker, you couldn't get into heaven. Well, that would let a lot of people out, wouldn't it? That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, and confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and confession is made into salvation. That's what it says. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Now, somebody does not want to investigate the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the blessing. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I want to be a word person and a Holy Ghost person. I want the gifts. I want them in my life. I want to be used by God. I want them in my church. I thank God when God uses people in the church in, in quiet ways and oftentimes also in, in you know, public ways where it's a tongue interpretation, prophetic word, laying hands on people, coming or going, and somebody gets healed. There's a lot of ministry that takes place that most of us know nothing about because it's orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, and it's not on the platform. If you're not careful, you train yourself to think that unless the gifts are in operation publicly in the crowd or on the platform, then they're not happening. No, they're happening all the time, and I thank God for them. Say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't be here. Most of you wouldn't be here either, except that experience. You've had an encounter with the Spirit of God. He's made things real to you, and there's a hunger. Even if you don't have everything operating in your life, there's a desire for it. And so you do what I did. You begin to read in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and 8, 9, and 10, and 19 about the encounters people have with the Holy Ghost. You read about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Paul's teaching in chapter 13 and 14, the parameters of operating the gifts. You want to know. We really are hungering for everything at that table, including that relationship with the Holy Spirit. But you and I know not everybody cares about having that level of relationship with God. They choke on the things of the Spirit. They choke through ignorance. They choke through fear. Some of you have people actually, you actually sat in churches where people preached against tongues. Some said it was of the devil. Could you imagine how dangerous that is to attribute to the devil the prayer language of a believer simply because doctrinally you can't stomach that thing. A believing believer says, you know what? I want everything I can have. The believing believer does what Paul said. Paul said that we should covet what? Yes. Especially to what? To prophesy because of the you know, ability to, to edify those that are actually hearing. So, he talked about desiring, coveting the gifts. The believer will say, I'm saved and that's good enough for me, pass the chicken. But the believing believer says what? I want more than chicken and a brownie. Amen? I'm going to say it. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And, um, you know, that's the night I got saved, baptized with, you know, in the Holy Ghost. Um, physically healed. It was, it was quite a buffet for me that night. So I came into this experiencing God as a buffet. Not as all I'm going to do is forgive you of your sin. I'm going to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to baptize you in the Spirit. I'm going to give you prayer language. I'm going to operate through you in the gifts. I'm going to change your, 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 your demeanor. 
You know, I'm going to cause you to do things you couldn't dream of. I'm going to begin to, to teach you and train you and prepare you to preach the gospel, teach the gospel. I mean, all that started that night. Can you see this? And if all I said was, well, I just want to have salvation and go to heaven, I probably could stay and eventually work that out in the church environment I was raised in. I may have stumbled myself into heaven, but how do you know God has so much more for us than just stumbling into heaven one day? My church experience growing up Lutheran, John Maxwell had a conference. He did leadership conferences, and I got to go to one of them years ago, just phenomenal. A great man of God. But uh, he had an entire church board, elder board, and pastor. Uh, they all showed up at this meeting. And when he gave a chance to get saved, uh, if you were raised Lutheran, you can understand this, but this is even an even extreme of that. Um, when he gave an opportunity at the end of his leadership talk to get saved, the pastor and all of the board members got saved. Could you imagine the impact on that church when they went back? Amen? Where did they choke at? They had religion, sacraments, organization, right, fellowship, doctrine, but they had never even arrived at the new birth. Trust me when I say it's a big deal to have feasted and continue to feast on the new birth. It's a big deal. Come on, say it is a big deal. But you know what? There's more out there. The believing believer is always saying there's more. There's more. Say it. I want more. I want to experience more. I want to have more. And that will lead you to things like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. A believing believer is not going to be content for Barb or Wilma to give the interpretation of every tongue. And now it's getting real quiet in here. No. A believing believer is going to want God to use them. The pastor, I guess, you found my choke point. <laughs> Maybe, but it didn't have to stay that way. Just because you may choke right now doesn't mean you have to choke tomorrow. You don't have to be stuck in these things. You can move forward in them. Everybody is progressing. You just have to have a desire that they God would. I mean, is there anyone here who would not like to walk into a hospital room of a terminal case and lay hands on that person and watch them walk out of the hospital? Is that, is that not something to desire? that God would do that, guess what? That's part of the package of the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. How many believe in the miracle capital of the world? How many believe God is raising you up to be a part of that? Working in miracles is one of those gifts. Amen. Not through them or through the apostles or through Jesus, but Jesus said, in greater works shall you do, because I what? Because to go to the Father. Now here's my question for it. Did he go to the Father? So then where is the second part of that statement? You shall do greater works. But if you're choking and all you care about is the new birth, then, you know, you're not going to do that. Can I tell you something? When you do lay hands on people, you're not the healer. 
you're not responsible for anything other than the obedience to do what God's called you to do. So there's no pressure on you. The pressure is on the Word of God. The pressure is on the power of God. Amen. Some folks will choke at the new birth. Some will choke at the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Some will choke, at the, choke on the gifts of the Spirit. Some, uh, some will choke on righteousness. Amen. And Brother Copeland had a song that he recorded early in his ministry about, about we are the righteousness of God in Christ. There were Christian stations wouldn't play it. Exactly, my brother. Why would you not play a song about we are the righteousness of God in Christ? Because there was this overwhelming religious teaching that we're nothing but dirty, dead dogs, you know, scum of the earth. We're just skating in, you know, by the, by the skin of our teeth, black-hearted sinners. In reality, we used to be black-hearted sinners. We used to be weak worms of the dust. But now we're the righteousness of God. In Christ. Now I see the devil's hand in trying to suppress that revelation and that hunger and eating that dish from the table of the Lord because when people get that mentality, it changes everything. They're bold, they're courageous, they're confident. They don't spend their lives in condemnation. When they fail, they repent and they go on. And actually, believing you're righteous actually causes you to live at a higher level than if you didn't believe that you were righteous. But you'd be amazed, even in this town, how many people would have an absolute conniption fit if you walked and said, up to them and said, you're a believer like me, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They would absolutely turn pale. Why? Because they're choking. Do you see this? Um, I don't know about you, but we need that revelation. Turn to somebody and say, you need the revelation of righteousness. Right standing with God. The righteous are as bold as what? As a lion. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, meow. Say, I am no weak worm of the dust. I'm not a black-hearted sinner. Well, pastor, what am I? You are a righteous person who sometimes chooses to sin. Well, pastor, I don't like that very much. <laughs> Truth is truth. There's nothing forcing you to sin. In fact, let me teach you something here about righteousness. Righteousness will push you towards holiness. So you have to overcome the force of righteousness and its influence to choose to sin. You're not unrighteous because you sin. You're a righteous person who chose to sin and thank God for the atonement. Thank God for his forgiveness. Does that make sense? Now, you want to walk in more victory, obviously you need to pay attention to that force inside of you that's saying, this is the right way to handle this, this is the right thing to say, or in a lot of cases, this is what you shouldn't say, or post. Yes. <laughs> oh, there are a lot of posts that Pastor Art never posted. I am not the resident Facebook theologian. That's not my responsibility. Did you imagine the time you could waste on that? Yes. Say it with me, I believe. What does a believing believer do? When the word says that he took my sin and gave me his righteousness, a believing believer says, no. yes, amen. Not, well, I just believe in the new birth. We'll let those whole harbor people, those wackos believe that. 
No, it's believers believing that. Say it with me again. I'm a believing believer. Some folks choke on righteousness. Some folks choke on the concept of the priesthood of all believers. Say it with me. I'm a minister. Say it with me. I am a minister of the gospel. See, you're trained religiously to think that those that have the collar, those that have the title, those that have the, the little desk plate, whatever, they're the ministers and we're all just attenders and observers. No, according to the revelation of the priesthood of all believers, Ephesians chapter 4, we are equippers and you are the ministers. We teach and train and encourage and empower you to do the work of the ministry. Do people choke on that? Yes, they choke on that. When I came to this church, there were eight families doing everything. Some liked it that way, but other people just actually believed their job was to sit and occasional nod and amen, put something in the offering, and come back in a week or two. And that's not resonant to just one church. Across the body of Christ in America, there was a, a revolution that took place, and most people don't even, you know, aren't aware that it actually took place, but it became a revelation that there's no such thing in, between laity and clergy. Those raised in the high church, we believe they're clergy and we're the laity. In other words, we get to do nothing, they get to do everything. Congratulations, clergy. The revelation of Paul is everyone's a minister. And the people that are pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists are to train the people for works of service. Do people choke on that? Sure they do. There's an engineer who worked for TVA. His wife and he attended, you know, probably in the late 90s for a few months. And um, now all of a sudden, I don't know what we were doing at the time, but they just disappeared. And I remember his wife ran into Kelly over at Walmart. You know, everything spiritual happens over at Walmart, right? <laughs> First church of Walmart, everything important happens there. I'm right about it, Pam. <laughs> Amen. And... And, uh, you know, hey, you know, we, we miss you. You know, we love you. You miss seeing you. Um, what's going on? You expect everybody to serve in that church, and we just don't have time. We work full time. I'm thinking, what do you think everybody else does? They just do nothing. They just sit there all day long with their hands folded saying, kumbaya. What happened in that case was, all we did was preach the very biblical priesthood of all believers that everyone is a minister, everyone should be doing something to serve their Lord, advancing the gospel, serving one another, loving on people that are hurting. Whatever it is, whatever that looks like, it could look like Sunday school, it could look like, you know, you know, making beds for kids who don't have them can have an amen. It could, it could be, you know, helping out with soup for the soul. Anything advancing the gospel, you should be doing something in the church, through the church, uh, parachurch, you should be involved. Amen. 212, hallelujah, mercy, glory to God, win those kids for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, amen. So I didn't preach anything that was heresy. It was, I choke on the notion that I personally have to do something in the body of Christ. Say it with me, I'm not choking, Pastor. Say it with me, I'm not choking. Everybody raise your hand and say, I'm not choking. Amen. Look at all those volunteers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Well, you can see that that's what can happen. Forget about all of the distinctives that we might believe about the Spirit of God. A lot of people choke on what we would say now is orthodoxy. 
that we are the equipping ministers in the body of Christ represents those that do the work of the ministry. People have choked on concepts like the anointing, but not believing believers say, I'm anointed. We believe that Jesus is anointed. The believer that's born again going to heaven says, Jesus is anointed in this story. I wouldn't dare say that I was anointed. Well, guess who calls you anointed? In fact, it says there's an anointing that abides on you. Take with me, I am anointed. What does anointed mean? What is Jesus' last name? <laughs> that is the response of a believer. But a, but a believing believer would say, it's not his last name. And Christ means the anointed one and the anointing whereby he is anointed. And you are a Christian. The very definition of the word Christian is like the Christ, but not the Christ. What does Christ mean? Anointed one. So if you are a Christian, then what are you? By definition, you are an anointed one. And there's a very powerful thing when you walk around saying, I'm anointed to pray, I'm anointed to preach, I'm anointed to teach, I'm anointed to lead, I'm anointed to go in the hospital room and pray, I'm anointed to do the job God's called me to do, I'm anointed to solve problems, and then you know, just a faith level will come and the power of God will flow in that situation because you're not afraid to declare what God said. In other words, you're going to release and cause that anointing to flow instead of suppress that, but a believer oftentimes will choke on that. There's one anointed and his name is Jesus and the rest of us are just nothing. C.S. Lewis, raise your hand if you've ever heard that name. Oh yeah, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Pastor. I know that. Oh, he's the guy that was friends with J.R. Tolkien who did Lord of the Rings. I know who that is. Did you know he's a prolific Christian writer? And he said that God's intent from the beginning is that each of us would be little Christ's. Why do I say that? Because C.S. Lewis didn't come from ORU. He didn't come from the Pentecostal realms or from the Word of Faith realms. Amen? What does that mean? It means that you are anointed with the same anointing that Jesus has. Why? Because there's only one Holy Spirit. Amen? You're not junior anointed or junior grade anointed. Say it with me. The same anointing on Jesus rests on me. Say it. I refuse to choke. <laughs> Are you getting this? Because this is just the introduction. Say it with me. I'm a believing believer. Say, I believe in the new birth. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in his gifts. I believe in righteousness. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. I believe in the anointed. Why? I'm a believing believer. Thank God for the new birth, but I'm not stopping there. What about the blessing of God? You know, you've been redeemed from the curse. In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles by faith. So that makes you what? Makes you blessed. Pastor, I remember you preached 30 something messages on the blessing. Surely there's no one in the church that would choke on the blessing. You'd be surprised. 
Amen. But we all know believers that would absolutely just go tilt if you spent five minutes telling them that they are blessed, that the blessing is on them. And then he began to explain what that blessing actually does and empowers them to succeed. Let's break it down. It causes them to succeed and prosper and increase and bear much fruit and have longevity. Say to something, tell them, you're supposed to be blessed. The blessing's on you now. Do you have to believe that to go to heaven? No. But you sure got to believe that if you want some heaven on earth. A believing believer is going to believe everything God says about the blessing. In fact, the Bible is literally the story of blessing decreed, blessing lost, blessing restored by God. I just gave you the entirety of the word of God in 20 seconds. Isn't that amazing? Now, if my series could last that long, y'all would be really blessed. Amen. Blessing decreed, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Genesis lost, a blessing lost, Genesis 3. Amen. Galatians 3, 14. Blessing restored. And now what that blessing does. So in truth, it's part and parcel with the gospel. But nobody has to believe in the blessing on their lives to go to heaven. But to have God's best on this planet, pretty good idea, amen? <laughs> and this is why I have to watch myself because I'm not the Facebook theologian. But I'll see people post things like, you know, the blessing has nothing to do with money. That's like saying the apples have nothing to do with the apple tree. I just want to write stupid. If thou be ignorant, thou shalt shut up. <laughs> in fact, there's nothing that the blessing doesn't touch in your life. But you're not obliged to embrace it. Fine, but don't you dare try to talk somebody else out of it. In other words, if you don't want no apples, fine. Don't eat the apples. But don't judge and criticize and put down people who like apples. Applesauce, apple slices, caramel apples, apple pie. Do you see this? And sometimes believers in the ignorance will take a shot at somebody who's a believing believer. Well, just let it just roll off your back and don't be influenced by that because the blessing is multifaceted. The blessing is the empowerment to succeed. Come on, say it. None of these things move me. I'm not going to give up, you know, studying and believing in and appropriating the blessing because somebody chose to live at the new birth level. Amen. Because you don't have to do that. You can go as far as you want to go in these things. Hallelujah. Say it with me. The blessing. The blessing of God. Hallelujah. Here's one. Prosperity. Ah! They're one of those prosperity churches, prosperity people, prosperity preachers. That question and alone shows you the choke point is there. And lack of knowledge. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. All prosperity is is well-being in every area of life. Do you have to have it to go to heaven? No. You have to have well-being in what area to go to heaven? Spiritually. 
But you don't have to embrace any of that. You don't, you don't have to do that at all. You don't have to believe God for well-being in every area of your life. The apostle said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest what? Prosper. Prosper. Does that mean that everybody under his influence was going to? No. He said, But I pray that all of you would, even as your what? Soul prospers, which is the first part. That new birth and that relationship with God is the first part. But believing God to cause well-being in every area of your life, your relationships and your occupation, your work, your spiritual life, your ministry, your family, your kids, you know, your finances, your health physically, your, your mind functioning right. I mean, you know, this is not a bad thing. But no one is required to press in for what God said he had for his people, starting with the Jews and you and me, by association through Jesus and what he did, I have plans to prosper you. Plans to give you what? A future and a hope. Plans not to what? Harm you. Now look, God can say that, and I can seize upon that. He has got a plans to, listen, a plan, not just he wants to prosper, plans, specific Plans. That would cause me to prosper. Now, somebody can choke on that if they want to, but I'm not going to choke on it. I'm going to take him up on it. I'm going to raise your hand and say, I take him up on it. It's not a bad thing. But you hear people, you know, throwing things out there, disparaging words, trying to talk people out of it because what? They choke on it. Their choking does not determine my faith. Amen. Not a dirty word, a beautiful word. Come on, say it. Prosperity. Prosperity. Say it with a gleam in your eye. Prosperity. Prosperity. That doesn't mean selfishness. Amen. That means empowered to prosper is what the blessing is. Money for the believer always has a mission. Always say it. It's a mission. Say it. I accept it too. To what? To be a blessing. We'll talk more about that particularly. But I just want to give you a I want to give you a thorough grounding in what this means to be a believing believer with specifics tonight. About the authority of the believer. Did not Jesus say that they could cast out devils, raise the dead, heal the sick, freely you've received, freely give? They came back and they said, oh, we saw the demons submit to us in your name. And you said, well, that's great, but let me tell you something better than that. I saw Satan what? Don't be thrilled because the demons submit to you in what? In my name, be thrilled what? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Never lose your thrill. But did he ever discount the authority that he gave them? He's the one that sent them out. You as a child of God have authority. You're not supposed to be under the devil's boot. He's supposed to be under yours. The authority of the believer means that you have the power through his name, to do the things he assigned you to do. Again, will people choke on that? Sure they will. But a believing believer says what? I believe. Amen. I lay hold of it. Here's something we never taught on before, the glory of God. <laughs> Just to recap, we lost the glory in the garden. Two balls of light flooded with God's own light. Eight of the tree, and because of the sin, the light went out. They noticed that they were naked. Why? The light was so intense, they never paid any mind to it. When the light went out, they saw they were naked, and what did they do? 
They made coverings for themselves. And what does God say? That's not going to cut it. In Genesis 3.15, he prophesies what would happen between the Son of God and Satan, that our Lord would be victorious. He prophesied how this would happen. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He went out and he took an animal skin. What happened to the animal, church? What happened to the animal? Without the shedding of blood, there was a sacrifice for those skins, and he covered those with those skins. Now watch this. I pray no one, you know, chokes saying, I just want to keep my fig leaf. Right? But a lot of people have the skin, the salvation, and that is the end for them. God never designed for his people to be given a skin and that was the end. His dream is to restore the light that went out when you and I sinned. The glory is his goal. He wants to restore the glory that was lost because of sin. What is that? The manifest presence and power and goodness of God. He wants you clothed in glory. And can I tell you something? Even the people that kick it and scream and refuse to move past the skin on earth, you're going to move past the skin in glory. Amen. You will not get to wear that skin up there. <laughs> You're wearing a fig leaf, you don't get in. But you will not be permitted to wear your skin in eternity. It's going to hit you then. See, you don't have to understand appropriate faith and believe God for the manifest presence of God in your life right now, the goodness of God, the power of God to go to heaven. But a believing believer says what? I want everything that's on that table. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1.7 says, I pray that the glorious Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Christ better. That if there is something out there in the Word, you want it. Amen? said, I want everything He has for me. Believing believers are always hungry for more revelation. You can find the normal believer and they'll still be functioning the same way in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But no one in this room of Jesus' terriers will be the same in 20 years. You will have pressed into more. You will not have stopped at the new birth. I don't know where you'll be. That's between you and your passion for God and your diligence in the Word of God. But you will not be simply stuck at the new birth in 30 years. Can I have an amen? amen? Can I have a better amen than that? Why? Because I'm in the room full of believing believers. Wednesday night is the overcomers club. This is not the chokers club. Come on, say it. I am not a choker. If God said it, I believe it. That's the end of it. Amen? Say it with me, the new birth. The Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, righteousness, priesthood, anointing, the blessing, prosperity, authority, the glory, and any revelation of the Word of God I don't know about yet. Blessed are they that hunger 
and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They'll be filled. Well, do you have to have any of these other things to go to heaven? The answer is 100% uncategorically no. But can you see the life that you leave behind if you don't tap into these things? So my encouragement to you is, as we, as we deal with the believing part of this, because supernatural increase is, is part of what we're entitled to as children of God, but it's not going to happen if you really don't want it, really don't line yourself up to receive and walk in it. Does that make sense? But on the other hand, somebody uses their faith for supernatural increase to do amazing things and to secure amazing tools for the advancement of the gospel. Don't look down on them. Amen. You choose to be a believer and someone else chooses to be a believing believer, don't put them down. Amen. Just recognize that they have chosen to grab on to everything the Word of God has. I'm telling you, God has a great future for you. God has a great thing in store for you. He has goodness stored up for His people. Amen. Do you believe that today? Let's give Him a hand clap and thank Him for it.